Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brett Bowe begin an introduction into Luther's small catechism. Welcome to Being Lutheran. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and with me today is... Pastor Jason Goodham. Good to see you again, Brett. You as well. What do we got on tap for today? Right. You're the host. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we are just getting into the catechism, and uh, it's one of our favorite topics, so Absolutely. this is good stuff. Yeah. And uh, so we just thought that uh, as we start this episode that we should take a, a moment to maybe clarify a few things and to get on the same page here so that you, listener, can understand what we're talking about as well. And so as we think of that, uh, the first thing to clarify is this, that... Um, you know, when we talk about the catechism or um, that, you know, that book, maybe you, listener, have something in mind. And so there are different versions of the catechism. And Jason, you want to explain what that, what's going on with that? Yeah. So when we are referring right now to the small catechism, especially and specifically, we are referring to the raw text of the small catechism as contained in the Book of Concord. So the reason why we're saying that is that you might have a uh, small catechism on your shelf in front of you uh, wherever, uh, and it has none of the other parts of the Book of Concord contained with it. And in fact, uh, it's going to be much longer than the text that we're describing. And that happens for a couple of reasons. Most is that you have Luther's small catechism and explanation. Right. It's, so it's actually two books in yeah. one. More, two books in one, exactly. That's a great way of looking at it. And, you know, each Lutheran denomination, insofar as they have a publishing entity, has their own version of that. Mm-hmm. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Concordia Publishing House has a small catechism mm-hmm. and explanation. Yep. We in the AFLC, yep. Ambassador Publications, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. little book. It's done really well, very accessible, yep. have uh, Luther's small catechism and explanation with H. You Sverdrup's yep, that's right. uh, explanation, that's Georg Sverdrup's father, father yep. uh, founder of the Lutheran Free Church, Georg Sverdrup, his father wrote an explanation to flesh out mm-hmm. the, the small chasm. Many Norwegian uh, Americans, immigrants, mm-hmm. are familiar with Pontopitan's right. catechism, which had something like 700 extra questions yep. in it. Uh, we're not talking about any of those explanations. This is just the basics sure. contained in the Book of Concord. So that is uh, commandments and meanings. Mm-hmm. Uh, three articles of the creed and meanings, seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer and meanings, uh, again, baptism and Lord's Supper and those explanations, and then the section on prayer. Uh, all of the other uh, extras are outside the scope of our study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And so um, you can even grab your copy of your catechism at home and perhaps follow along with us a little bit. That, take that would notes be good. if you take, want to. Take notes yeah. in the margin. Uh, we hope you find this u- useful and uh, that you use it in your, your devotional life, your life as a believer in Christ. And in fact, what I'm going to be doing, it's going to be helpful only to an extent because, again, this is a different format than what the class was originally mm-hmm. uh, presented to, but I am going to now start uh, putting the worksheets we use in our class uh, online just for people to follow along and take notes on if you'd like to do that. Uh, uh, again, the class time was much longer sessions mm-hmm. and we're not necessarily tailoring uh, right. the, the discussion here to the worksheet. So it may or may not fit in, mm-hmm. but it's just, you know, for people who like doing that sort of thing, I'll have them up 
uh, on the website. Sure. So we're not necessarily saying that you know some of those other editions are we should be discarded or anything. We're just focusing on one aspect, really the catechism itself. Yeah, right. we're, we make no commentary mm-hmm. on uh, the usefulness of the others, although they're all pretty useful yeah. and helpful. Uh, but for the purposes of what we're doing, because mm-hmm. Being Lutheran started as a class on the Book of Concord, looking at Lutheran distinctives, mm-hmm. that's where we're making our home. All right, sounds good. So, you know, as we clarify that, uh, we are getting into the Ten Commandments here. So yep. we need to talk a little bit about the law. And the law. The law, <laughs> Right. Uh, I can't. No. I fought the law. On yeah, the law that's one. A, you're thinking I'll go there exa- and take you off the hook. I'm not going to sing it, but yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I think when I started this session, I actually played it in class. Confession, you know, it's uh, okay. Is that that's not Bobby Darren, is I it? I can't remember who it is. Uh, but yeah, it's the law, and mm-hmm. this is a category in Lutheran theology that really, really, really needs to be clarified. Right, and so you hear often law and gospel. Law and, and gospel. Those are the two languages, so to speak, of Scripture. Yeah, and, and I'm actually going to correct you on that. Mm-hmm. What I have started teaching is that the language of Scripture is law and gospel. Yeah. Uh, so there's kind of three graduated steps to uh, Lutheran growth. The first is finding out that scripture is uh, has a purpose in communicating law and gospel. Uh, before that, you know, people treat scripture as good advice mm-hmm. or as wisdom or as just you know, raw history or, or whatever the case might be. But the, the Lutheran confession is that all scripture is either killing you in mm-hmm. your sins, convicting you of sin, and then is forgiving you sin, is raising you back to life. That is the language of law and gospel. Mm-hmm. The reason why that needs to be clarified is the, if you've converted from some other denomination to becoming a Lutheran, your first response to about hearing law and gospel is to start highlighting your Bible and color codes. And so you're going to be looking at a passage and saying, well, this is law. And another passage, this is gospel. Uh, And sometimes that works. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, John 3.16, pure gospel. Right. Uh, But it, it misses that law and gospel go hand in hand. That is God's one language. And mm-hmm. that is the final conviction of, of Lutheran theology is that the way God speaks to us is with law and gospel, not mm-hmm. law and or gospel, as if they're two separate entities. It's one thing, law mm-hmm. and gospel. Yeah, good, good stuff. And and so as, you, as we zero in on law specifically, the law functions in different ways as it's as the word of God goes forth. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. The law functions in different ways for us. And historically speaking, Lutherans have taught that the law functions in three ways. Now, one thing I want to clear up as we dive into this is that this is normally written as the three uses of the law. Right. But we want to be certain that it is the Holy Spirit who is using the law to produce these effects on us, not us doing that. And so I prefer to Bummer. use the term I functions. Stop, I just stop everything I'm doing now. Yeah. No. <laughs> just, it all crumbles. Uh, so the three functions of the law, the first way the law functions mm-hmm. is as a curb mm-hmm. uh, in a society. And in, in the way, the easiest way to, to understand this is think to of think of a curb, yeah. right? Is that it gives boundaries to streets so that you know where to drive and where not to drive. Uh, and so like a speed limit. Uh, you know how fast you are to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the various laws that are codified on the books uh, for society, that is the law, that mm-hmm. it is preventing society from tearing itself together. 
Yeah, right. Or from tearing an, itself from, apart, tearing from, itself together. My from anarchy. Goodness. Yeah, from anarchy. It's basically presenting anarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second function of the law is the primary function of the law, and that is to operate as a mirror. Mm-hmm. And when we say is that the law is showing us where we have failed to obey the law. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, why we say this is the primary function, because the law always exists for self-examination, that it is driving us inside of ourselves. And I'll flesh that out in just a little bit here. But the law operating as a mirror is when God gives us a command, our first response ought to be, how am I doing at obeying that command? Not look at that guy over there. Mm-hmm. It's how am I doing? It is revealing to me my ability or more relevantly, my inability to uh, obey the law. Right. You shouldn't look, when you look in a mirror, you shouldn't say, oh, I look pretty good. No. But you yeah. should say. You say, oh, well, that is that, I really need a haircut. You know? <laughs> Got bedhead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's kind of the, the just a very, very basic summary mm-hmm. of the second functional law. The third functional law is one where all the controversy takes right. place. Uh, and that is as a guide. Uh, and this really, really, really has to be clarified mm-hmm. because there are so much abuses in the church because of that. So what we mean when the law operates as a guide is that the law is showing the Christian right. how to behave as a Christian. It's revealing the, the will of God. It is guiding us in this. And so the, the parts of the New Testament that teach us about delighting in God's law or mm-hmm. you read... Um, for instance, Psalm 119, where David delighted in yeah. God's law. Now, on one hand, he's speaking about all of the revealed word of God, yeah. uh, but he's also delighting in the commandments that God has, in fact, given us instructions to live by. God hasn't hidden his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ways I've taught this before is if you were to go down to Brazil into the middle of the Amazon, someone who's never been exposed to Western society before, and bring them up here, and they saw you... Uh, plug in something and it lit up uh, and they took like a butter knife and stuck it in the socket and they'd be zapped and, you know, blown across the room or whatever. Uh, They would indicate that they would believe that this is a force more powerful uh, than they are. Uh, It's a supernatural force to them, right? Uh, But they would not know what that force wants them to do. And so they could go mend whatever they thought they were being punished for, stick the knife back in the light socket and have the same problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the The point about the the third function of the law as a guide is that God has revealed mm-hmm. His will to us, and it comes in a specific way with specific instructions. And uh, building on that, there are parts of the New Testament that are especially given to Christians for Christians to live. Romans twelve nine through twenty specifically given for Christians: love uh, what is good, cling to what is good, hate what is evil, outdo one another in doing, doing good, things like that. That's what we're talking about with the law operating as a guide. Now, where we ought to be careful with mm-hmm. that is that, the, the again, going back to the primary function of the law, is that the law always accuses. Mm-hmm. The law is always revealing to you your shortcomings in fulfilling the law. So even if, mm-hmm. as a Christian, you are delighting uh, that God has shown you how to live as a Christian, sooner or later, you're going to screw it up. You're mm-hmm. going to not do that. And right. it, so then the law always cycles back to that second function of the law where you are being convicted of your sin. Yeah, that's so good. And I appreciate how you say that there. And it, it kind of moves us away from the notion that you could fall into saying, well, the law is bad and gospel is good. Yeah. You know, we're saying the law is good. 
and uh, it leads us to Christ. Well, we're saying the law is good because Paul specifically himself mm-hmm. uh, says that the law is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so scripture tells us that the law is good. The law is still the word of God, mm-hmm. uh, and which is why I don't stop with the free, three functions of the law. Yeah. That's helpful. I also have expanded and teach in this class and in my confirmation classes that there are three purposes to the law. It is one thing to understand how w- the law functions, how it operates in our lives, mm-hmm. but we have to know why it was given in the first place. Right. You know. So well, hold on a second here. It, so you mentioned before you were talking about how the Holy Spirit uses the, or fun, makes the law function in our lives. Mm-hmm. So could you give us an illustration of how that works or how the Holy Spirit might use the law to function in a certain way in a person's life? Sure. Um, the, preaching is the easiest example of that. If I preach a sermon, mm-hmm. uh, you and I, from our seminary training mm-hmm. as pastors, have been tasked always to preach the law in all its severity or mm-hmm. its sternness and to preach the gospel in all its sweetness, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the phrase that was repeated in seminary right. umpteen different times. Well, what that means is I take a passage— And whatever that passage condemns, whatever behavior that passage is condemning, we condemn it. Now, for some, that'll be the first time they've ever considered that that behavior is wrong. Uh, And so that would be the first function of the law. Mm -hmm. For others, uh, they will consider that... Oh, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have been sinning in this way regularly, and it it's designed to lead them to repentance. Uh, and for some people, hear it and say, "Yes, this is what God wants me to do," and, and it, it'll be like a building block for them. Mm-hmm. But if I preach that word, that word of law from that passage in its sternness, the Holy Spirit then will apply that word to people uh, as He deems. Necessary, and it's much better to have God applying mm-hmm. His word right. than to have me applying His yeah. word. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, that reminds me of uh, a sermon I preached a number of years ago, where I remember feeling like I had to really drive home the gospel. And really, as I look back, it was me trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit. No. And I'll never forget, you know, as you shake hands with people in the back of the church, and one of the ladies came up to me and said uh, something along the lines of, "Oh, I really." God really used that message to show me what I need to do in my life. And I thought to myself, oh, but I wanted you to hear the gospel in yeah. this. But as I, I think back on that, I'm, I'm sure what happened, what was really happening was the Holy Spirit yep. took his word and applied it how she needed it that day, that morning. Yeah. And I mean, almost all of the feedback I've ever received on sermons from my congregation has been something that I personally wasn't highlighting in the passage. I wasn't focusing on, I wasn't giving attention or energy to. And and I've come to believe that where I give focus and attention and energy to, I'm either doing it in a sinful way to distract myself from something I ought to be confessing, or I'm highlighting it because it's something in my life that's showing up. And, you Mm -hmm. know, you and I as pastors, uh, we would confess that we're preaching to ourselves just Mm -hmm. as much as we're uh, preaching to our congregation. So there's that. But yeah, I'll preach a great sermon (laughs) and someone will come up. Well, I won't preach a great sermon. I'll preach a sermon (laughs) and then someone will come up to me and say, Pastor, I really like this part. And sometimes I don't even remember saying it, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing, which is why it's necessary for us or anyone who's studying scripture or teaching scripture mm-hmm. uh, that we get down to the core of rightly dividing law and gospel, right. that, we, that we declare the law and all its severity, we declare the gospel and all its sweetness, and then we explain it and let the Holy Spirit do his work because faith comes by hearing and mm-hmm. hearing through the word of Christ. 
and it's a joy to see God using his word in that way and, and uh, changing people's lives. Yeah, and, and to build on that, then God has given us the law for a purpose, that mm-hmm. there, there are three ways this operates uh, as God delivers it. The first purpose of the law that I teach is to reveal the holy will and character of God. Uh, and so uh, the Ten Commandments aren't just arbitrary rules. And, and you and I have both been instructors at the Bible school now. And, and one of the hard things about being an instructor is you have to have an objective way to grade your students. Mm-hmm. There has to be a concrete way to evaluate their performance. I think people treat the Ten Commandments like that, that God just came up with ten random rules uh, so that he could grade us. That's not how it works because the law is the expression by God of who God is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it reveals the character of God, and then it reveals how he wants us to respond in light of his character. So the first purpose of the law is to reveal the holy will and character of God. The second purpose of the law, again, mirroring the primary function of the law, is to prepare us for our Savior. Mm-hmm. The real reason God has given us the law is to reveal to us that we cannot attain salvation by the law, and it's to beat the addiction to ourselves out of us. Mm-hmm. Any notion that we can please God in our own efforts, the law is there to drive that notion out of us. I'm feeling guilty. Yeah, well, you, you <laughs> ought to if the law is doing its work on That's you. That's right. Uh, the final function of the law, and this is one that has been really important for me as I've studied the doctrine of vocation, which we'll get to intermittently throughout this study, is that the law is given to us to protect our neighbor from our sinful selves. Mm-hmm. And again, our response to hearing the law is that guy broke the law yep. or that guy broke the law and I suffered because right. of it. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. The law is given that I examine my life and find out where I have shortchanged my neighbor with my sinful behavior. Mm-hmm. That is why the law is given. Uh, if we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, if he has provided everything we need for life and salvation, if someone shortchanges us, if someone sins against us, we're not to worry about that. We're to bear our cross and cling to eternal life given to us by Christ. But if we harm our neighbor, our task as Christians is to love our neighbor. And so that's where we ought to be concerned. Yeah, that is really good, Jason, there. And I like how you fleshed out the the functions of the law and the purposes of the law. And this is a little bit of an introduction uh, to the commandments as we get into them. But each commandment has... Uh, kind of a positive sense and a negative sense or way we've been talking about it, a vice and a virtue. Yep. Um, and so set us up for that of what we're going to be hearing in the commandments. And, and this again, and you're going to hear me say this phrase several times just because I really appreciate the mem. This is one of the geniuses of Luther. As you read, especially through the large catechism on uh, the Ten Commandments, one of the things Luther really captured from the teaching of the law in Scripture is that Scripture, the, the Ten Commandments not only prohibit activities. They forbid activities. They promote the opposite Mm -hmm. activities. So you said vice and virtue. And this is something we really ought to be taking note. Yeah. Prohibit, promote, vice, virtue, Mm -hmm. whatever mnemonic device you can use. As you consider the Ten Commandments, it expands a whole world of of application for your lives if you understand the commandments this way. So you just break it down quickly. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is prohibiting idolatry, but it is promoting, prescribing faith in God. Mm -hmm. Second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It is prohibiting blasphemy, but it is promoting prayer. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Rightly oriented prayer towards God. How do we use God's name? Well, we cry out to God for grace and mercy. It's what Hebrews 4.16 says to us. Third commandment is uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, in this case, Luther uh, took what had been commonly taught about the third commandment, which we'll get there in several weeks, uh, to teaching about you know not doing anything on Sunday, uh, to this is about the preaching of God's word. And so the third commandment prohibits heresy, abuse of God's word, and it promotes, here's the word again, orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. It promotes a right understanding of scripture that is delivering its gifts to us, drawing us to Christ, so on and so forth. And you can go down the line. Fourth commandment prohibits anarchy, promotes authority. Mm-hmm. Fifth commandment on killing prohibits murder, promotes life, which is why we as Christians really build our argument against abortion on the fifth commandment. Uh, sixth commandment prohibits adultery, mm-hmm. prohibits an abuse of the family because it promotes the family. Mm-hmm. Seventh commandment prohibits theft because it promotes private property. It promotes the material blessings God gives us in the Lord's prayer as he provides our daily bread. Eighth commandment prohibits gossip and lying. You remember mm-hmm. the story you told about your son yeah, right. before the, yeah. oh, that yeah. kind of thing, <laughs> uh, because it promotes the reputation of our neighbor, that we should always be making our neighbor look better. Mm-hmm. And then the the ninth and 10th commandments is so interesting. We kind of treat those as the throwaway yeah. commandments, the thou shalt not covet. Uh, but the coveting also prohibits idolatry. And if you go to the New Testament, Romans 7 compares coveting to idolatry, which gives us all the way back to the first commandment. Mm-hmm. And so Luther kind of caps off his teaching of the commandments saying, yeah. every sin in and of itself, is a breaking of the first commandment because yeah. we are placing our will over and above God's will. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and I appreciate how what you just said really fleshes out the commandments. And I think sometimes people can look at the commandments and just say, nope, I haven't killed anybody. And check box, Yeah, right? check it off and, and think of it in a simplistic way. But what you've described here really fleshes out uh, both the uh positive, negative, vice virtue of uh, what God has laid out before us. And it gets to the heart of what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, that's where Luther finds his basis for a lot of these explanations. You know, Luther would say, uh, you have heard that it was said, or not Luther would say, Jesus would say, Mm -hmm. uh, you have heard that it was said, uh, you shall not commit adultery. But Mm -hmm. I say to you, even if you lust in your heart Mm -hmm. after another woman or in, you know, modern context, after Mm -hmm. a member of the opposite sex or even of the same sex, Uh, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. So it's not just, I haven't slept with another man's wife today, I'm Mm -hmm. doing okay. It's the intent of the commandment. Mm -hmm. But Luther then would capture that teaching and say, if we are forbid to corrupt someone else's spouse, we are commanded to uphold the family, to promote the family, to respect the family. That's excellent. Yeah, amen to that. And so uh, that's a good setup for the commandments. And uh, we will see you next time. Hi, and thank you for joining us. Please check us out on the web at beinglutheran.com. Join us next week when Pastor Jason and Pastor Brett begin to talk about the first commandment.